That music is an invitation, an invitation to sit up and join me as we look into God's Word. This isn't your parents' Bible study or some pre-printed material from your denomination. Each episode, we tear into God's letter to humanity to see what would God have us know about Himself, about the world around us, and about ourselves. I am Brother Mitchell from the Discipleship Center, and you are listening to the PDC Podcast. We're in the middle of a study on 1 Peter, but again, I wanted to take a break. Not because there isn't good material in 1 Peter, or that I'm bored with 1 Peter, or that I'm unprepared for 1 Peter, but because my spirit is grieved over something that affects both my home church and Gift of God Street Church. Well, what could possibly be troubling me? Division. Not mathematical division, but the kind of division that says, my church is right and all other churches are wrong, or my preacher is right and yours is wrong, or the disagreement we have had with you does not need to be made right because for whatever reason. The text I'm in today is in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up divisions, after warning him once, and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, many of you know that I go to a local Baptist church, and while that may mean something to some people, it usually just confuses most people. What is a Baptist church anyway? Baptists are kind of like Baskin-Robbins in that, you know, we have at least 31 flavors. We range from the snake handlers that run up and down the aisles with waving hands and dancing feet all the way to the ultra-conservatives and the legalistic churches full of yawners and everything in between. There's a couple reasons I'm in a Baptist church right now, though. The first is because it's part of my wife's work contract. She works there at the school, and we're obliged to go to that church. But the second is because there are some fundamental truths that we hold to. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God who took on human flesh coming down to us by virgin birth, was crucified for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. We are an evangelical church that believes in the spreading of the gospel through preaching and teaching and missionary work. We are a fundamentalist church in that we believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture of all things. We believe that Scripture is presented as a narrative or historical, is literal history, that the poetry books are literal poetry used to teach. We believe that prophetic books are literally prophecy that has been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. We believe in baptism by immersion as an outward sign of the new life in Christ. We believe in celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion as a memorial service of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. We believe in the autonomy of the local church, that is, that we have the right to govern our local church based on the Bible and give room to other churches who disagree with us to govern their church as they see fit through the Bible. Sounds good, right? Where is the disagreement? 
I would be pretty hard-pressed to find any mainline Protestant or non-Catholic church who disagrees with the most of these statements. But there are some. There are churches who don't believe that Jesus was either the literal Son of God or that he literally was born of a virgin or that he really died for the sins of the world or that he literally rose from the dead. We have a, a problem there because what good is Jesus if he wasn't all of those things? He couldn't have just been a good person because his claim to be the Son of God would have been a lie and nothing else in the New Testament could be trusted if it's founded on a lie. There are churches who believe that the Bible is not to be taken literally, and they spiritualize or allegoricalize everything which makes the Bible subject to reimagination. Some churches teach that the baptism produces salvation, or the baptism of infants and children will bring them into the covenant of faith, meaning that personal faith is not as important as community faith. We do not find anywhere in the Bible the idea that baptism was before repentance or salvation, or that children were baptized, although they could have been if there was evidence of repentance and salvation. Some churches teach that the Lord's Supper or communion is a way to maintain your salvation, or that you're lifted into the presence of God while taking communion. I can't find a verse in the Bible to substantiate that claim. The final item on my list is the autonomy of the local church. This was a move to combat the Protestant movement to forming a hierarchy or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans from polluting our new churches. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans that God hated, which you could read about in Revelation chapter 2, was that they believed that the clergy was over the laity or that the position of the clergy gave them authority over the laity and they took advantage of this monetarily, sexually, and in, in other ways. While I agree with not having an abusive church hierarchy dictating what happens locally to a church that they know nothing about, it also leaves a local church with no accountability. And you get the excises like Westboro Baptist Church who protest military funerals because they believe God is judging America for homosexuality, which may be true. Where do the real divisions come from? Unfortunately, the real divisions between denominations don't usually arise from hardcore, hill-to-die-on doctrines, but rather from non-central issues. For example, the teaching of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Some of the tenets of Calvinism is that man is totally depraved and will not seek after God, that God chooses those who he elected, that Christ died only for the elect, that God's grace is irresistible in drawing the elect to himself, and that if you're truly saved that you will not walk away from the faith or become lost again. The counterpoints of Arminianism are that men are depraved but still able to seek God, that election is conditional and that God only foreknows who will believe in him, that atonement is unlimited and that anyone could believe in God and be saved, and that God's grace is resistible and not everyone will be saved that are called, and conditional salvation in that Christians could lose their salvation if they continue to reject the Holy Spirit's influence in their lives, and personal holiness is what maintains your salvation. The main difference between these two viewpoints goes to the nature of who God is and who man is. Is God sovereign over everything, or is man mostly sovereign? Does man have a free will to choose good or evil, or does man only have the free will to choose between bad and worse? While there is some truth in many of the statements of both systems of teaching, it's the hardcore proponents of both camps that speak the loudest and do not allow for a whole counsel of God approach to thinking about the opposing viewpoint.
the continuation of gifts versus the cessation of gifts. This was a hot topic started back in the late 80s, but was brought to a head in 2013 at the Strange Fire Conference, where my mentor John MacArthur posed that these gifts had ceased, but one of my other favorite teachers, John Piper, posed that there was a continuation of these gifts. In the Bible, there's a list of fruits of the Holy Spirit and a list of gifts given by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are what shows you're maturing and becoming more like Christ, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given for the common good of the church. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts listed are knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, faith, healings, miracles, discernments of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians goes on to teach that these gifts are to be used for the benefit of building one another up, to be used in love, to be stirred up, and to be used in the orderly worship of the church. 1 Corinthians 14.1 urges us to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy or the proclamation of God and his word. So many people get bent out of shape over the gifts of the Spirit because there's been, on one hand, the abuse or the manufacture or conjuring up of these pseudo-gifts, but also because, on the other hand, there's been a general quenching of the gifts of the Spirit. Again, the hardcore proponents of each method of teaching have their points, but they don't allow for people to use a whole counsel of God approach to studying out the matter to find out what the truth really is. These are just two divisive issues that have kept good God-fearing people away from each other. Shunning godly fellowship. This is the kind of divisiveness that we're warned about back in Titus chapter 3. It says that for people who like to stir up divisiveness, that they should be warned one or two times and then you're to have nothing to do with them. We've got a guy in our church who stated before that his gift is to stir the pot. Stirring the pot is nothing more than saying you're giving the devil free reign in your life to cause division in your church. It's hard to have a serious Bible study where people are free to ask questions because this guy likes to interject a lot of this stirring of the pot. We're not allowed to ask our pastors or our teachers legitimate questions in an appropriate forum because this guy likes to hijack those forums. Let me just say that stirring the pot, that ain't a gift. That's Satan's curse on our church. What's the real underlying reason for divisions? I'll tell you the truth, and it may hurt some people's feelings, but the real reason for division is pride, plain and simple. Pride says that I know what I'm talking about and you don't know nothing. Pride says that my way of thinking is high and your way of thinking is low. Pride says that you need to bow down to me and ask for forgiveness, but I'm never wrong. Pride says I won't fellowship with you ever again because we had a disagreement. Pride says that we can't fellowship because you're from the other side of the tracks. Pride says that our denominations are different, so there must be something wrong with yours. I've had the sweetest fellowship here at the Gift of God Street Church with some Lutherans, with some Methodists, some Evangelical Free, and with some Reformed Church members, with some non-denominational community church members. I even had fellowship with some Catholics. Now, while there may be some doctrinal issues that I take exception to, it is their obligation to study God's word themselves, and in conjunction with that, it's the Holy Spirit's job to enlighten them. If they aren't able to understand scripture, then either they aren't in the word, or they don't have the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. Until they come to me and ask me to help them with the scriptures, then it's kind of none of my business. I can pray for them, I can pray for God to help them, but I can't replace the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their life. 
What I can do is pray that God works in me to remove my pride and to do my job as a peacemaker, a bridge builder, a truth proclaimer, and to be the best follower of Jesus in the universal church that I can be, and to be a functioning member of the local church, or in my case, in the local churches that I can be. But what about you? This message primarily was for followers of Jesus who find themselves in a spiritual tug-of-war between churches or between pastors. Maybe you're hearing some of this stuff for the first time and you're not even sure about your own salvation. If this is you, I encourage you to come talk to us today. We're not here to make you good Baptist or good whatever denomination people. We're here to proclaim the good news of Jesus, his gospel, his kingdom, and give you the limited time offer of peace from God. The Discipleship Center and its subsidiaries, TDC Aquaponics and TDC Farm, are a registered 501c3 charity serving in the not-so-beautiful city of Kekakee and its surroundings. Have you or a loved one been struggling with substance abuse, chronic unemployment, need some work experience after a recent incarceration, or just failed to move on to a more productive phase of life? There is hope just around the corner with the Discipleship Center where every life matters and we strive to fulfill the Great Commission one life at a time. Check us out on the web at www.discipleshipctr.org today.